Welcome to Victory Christian Center's audio podcast. We hope this message encourages you, and we look forward to connecting with you on social media or FCCFMD.com. Because we are starting a new series on the God of promise. The God of promise. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first portion of Exodus chapter 6 this morning. And while you're turning there, just to give you a little bit of background information, a little bit of historical information on what's taking place here You can go back to Exodus chapter 1, and we read there that the sons of Jacob moved to the land of Egypt, which is where Joseph was living. He was there working in Pharaoh's palace. He was the second in command of all of the land of Egypt. And so Jacob and his family, they moved there to be with Joseph. And then after Joseph and his brothers pass away, after that generation is gone, their descendants continue to increase and multiply. And so they have lots of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 1 that they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and they filled the land. And so what ended up happening was a new king arose, a new pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph didn't know the things that he had done, but the sight of the increasing number of Israelites scared him just a little bit. And he said, if we don't do something about these Israelites, they're going to join our enemies, they're going to fight against us, they're going to leave this country. We can't let them overtake us. We can't let them overpower us. So they began to place burdens upon the Hebrews, upon the Israelites. They made them slaves in the land of Egypt. You might be familiar with the story. But the longer that the Israelites were oppressed, the more they kept multiplying and increasing in number. And so Pharaoh says, we got to do something about this. And so he issues this decree that the firstborn male of all of the, the Hebrews were to be slain. This is where we see Moses enter the scene. And if you're familiar, you're not familiar with the story of Moses, you can read about the beginning of his life in the first few chapters of the book of Exodus. But where we're going to pick up in our story this morning is Exodus chapter 6. We know that the Lord spoke to Moses through a burning bush and said, Moses, you're the man of the hour. I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, God, you got the wrong guy. I can't talk. I can't speak right. I've got a stutter. You better choose somebody else. And God got through eventually to Moses. Moses' brother Aaron, they go to Pharaoh, and they tell him what God's plan is. He needs to let the people of God go. Take a look at Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Notice the Lord didn't say, Moses, you're going to see what I'm going to let you do to Pharaoh. God said, Moses, you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion, he will let them go. And under compulsion, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. If you look at the Hebrew translation there, the Lord says, I am Yahweh. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. But my name, Lord, or Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I love this next phrase. The Lord says, I have remembered my covenant. Aren't you thankful this morning that God remembers his covenant? He goes on in verse 6 to say, Therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will take you for my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 8, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they didn't listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Verse 10, now the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Would you pray with me this morning? Yeah. Father, I thank you this morning that you are a God of promise. And Lord, I thank you this morning that your word assures us that you remember your covenant with us. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we dive into your word that you would open our hearts that you would open our minds to receive what you would have us take away from this today. And we ask this in the most precious name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. amen and amen. We see in our text this morning that God made several promises to Moses about how he was going to deliver his people from the land of Egypt, about how he was going to deliver his people from the hand of Pharaoh. And at the very beginning of this conversation that God is having with Moses, God has to take Moses back and remind Moses for a minute exactly who he is, that he is, in fact, still God. How many times in our lives does God have to remind us 
He's still God, and he's still on the throne. He's got the whole world in his hands, okay? So God has to take Moses back, and he has to remind him who he is. Because the God of promise is a God of deliverance. And we're going to see that evidence a little bit further in our story this morning. God said, I have remembered my covenant with them. I've remembered my promise to them. I haven't forgotten it. So what is the definition of a promise? A promise can be a noun or a promise can be a verb. As a noun, a promise is defined as a decision or assurance that one will do a particular thing. As a verb, a promise is to assure someone that someone will definitely do, give, or arrange something. God is saying, I am definitely going to fulfill what it is I said I was going to do. We serve a God of promise. And scripture tells us in 2 Peter 3 verse 9 that God is not slack concerning his promise. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. God is not slack concerning his promise. In the Greek, that means he doesn't delay. He doesn't tarry. He's not slow in fulfilling his promise. Now, in our minds, sometimes we think, God, would you hurry up and do this thing? Because it's not happening like you promised me it would. God is not slack. He's not slow concerning the fulfillment of his promise. He will fulfill it in his time. In his time. Sometimes in order for you and I to trust that the God of promise is able to deliver on his promise, he has to remind us of who he is and what he's already done in our life. He has to take us back and remind us of what he's done because we can be a little bit stubborn sometimes, can't we? Be a little bit hard-headed. Maybe it's just me. My mom tells me all the time it's the Irish blood I have running in my veins and makes me so stubborn. But sometimes we're a little bit stubborn and God has to say, have you forgotten who I am? I am the Lord. And so the first thing that we see here in Exodus chapter 6 in this conversation between the Lord and Moses is the reminder of the promise keeper. The reminder of the promise keeper. We see this in verses 2 through 5. God says, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. And while this is not the first time in scripture that the name Yahweh is introduced, God tells Moses, I didn't reveal myself as Yahweh to the patriarchs. I didn't reveal myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Yahweh. I revealed myself as El Shaddai, as God Almighty, but not as Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God that according to Jewish custom and tradition is too sacred to say. It's too sacred to completely spell out. And so oftentimes it is spelled in Jewish custom without vowels. So it's spelled Y-H-W-H. And this is what is known as the tetragrammaton, which basically means four Hebrew consonants. You and I see the word Yahweh and we're able to say it correctly because we've added vowels for pronunciation purposes. But in the Jewish culture, this name of God was too holy to be uttered. 
And so many times they thought that if they said the word Yahweh, it would be taking the Lord's name in vain. They, they revered it so much that a lot of times they would replace it by saying Adonai or Elohim, referring to God. But the name Yahweh is a name that denotes God's personal relationship with his people. And so when we look throughout scripture, when this name of God is referenced, it has to do with God's relationship with people because he is a relational God. And so when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, he said, I am who I am. I am that I am. I am who I am, Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am the eternally existent God who always was and who always will be. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, the Lord said, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them, and I reaffirmed my covenant with them. God reminds Moses who he is. That he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he is God Almighty. That he is the Lord from everlasting to everlasting. He reminds Moses that he is the God of promise and that he reaffirms his covenant with his ancestors. He was revealing to Moses that not only was he a sustainer and a provider, but he is a promise keeper. He goes on to say, you can be sure that I have heard the groans of my people Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. I am well aware of my covenant with them. God says, hey Moses, I am the Lord. I am the ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God, and I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten your people. I haven't forgotten the promise that I have made to you because I have heard your cries. I've heard the cries. I've heard the groans of my people. Isn't that an amazing assurance for us this morning that God hears our cries? He listens to us. He is El Shama, the God who hears and the God who listens. And it's a confidence that you and I have in the Lord today because sometimes we feel like we're talking to a brick wall, don't we? You might feel like that brick wall is your spouse. You might feel like that brick wall is your kids or your siblings. You're just not getting anywhere. You just keep talking and talking and you're just not getting through. Sometimes we feel that way with God. God, how many times have I asked you this? How many times have I prayed for this? When are you going to come through on what it is I've been asking you to do in my life? I can assure you this morning that when you're talking to the Lord, you're not talking to a brick wall. He hears you. He listens to the groans and the cries of his people. I read a quote this week, and I'm not sure of the... Uh, where it came from, I'm not sure of the author or the origin of the quote, but it said, when we pray, God hears more than we say, answers more than we ask, gives more than we can imagine in his own time and in his own way. And scripture assures us of that, doesn't it? it tells us that God is a God who does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. 
If we jump down to verse 6 of Exodus chapter 6, we see not only the reminder, but we see the reality of the promise keeper. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. If you read this verse in the King James, it says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. We talked a few weeks ago about the significance of an outstretched arm or two outstretched arms towards heaven. It is significant of an oath that is being made. God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. It's a promise. It's an oath that God was making to his people, a covenant that he was making with them. Verse 7, the Lord says, I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Notice how many times he says, I will and I am. Just in those three verses. I will and I am. God is assuring Moses of the reality of who he is and what it is that he will accomplish. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Scripture assures us that all of the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God. If we take another look at verse 9 of Exodus chapter 6, Scripture says, So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said. But they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. How many times do you and I become so overburdened, so discouraged by the situations that we are presently facing, that we can't see the promises of God that are right in front of us? That there's something that God's promised us, but because of everything going on in our life, we just can't see it. We just can't remember it. The people had become so discouraged by what it is that they were going through. That when Moses shares this amazing promise that he received directly from the mouth of God, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. They were so discouraged. They were so caught up in their present circumstances. And I think that sometimes what happens all too often with us because we're humans and we fall short is that we give up right on the brink of what it is that God's going to do because we get so discouraged and we throw in the towel before we see the promise. Some of you this morning have been believing God for years to fulfill a promise that he spoke to your heart. And you've held on to it. But you've gotten discouraged because it hasn't happened yet. God hasn't revealed it to you yet. I've had promises that God has spoken to my heart over the years. And because of situations that I would find myself in, I would doubt. God, is this really what you said you were going to do? Because there's no way it's going to happen right now. We doubt. We doubt the promises of God. The God of promise is a God of deliverance. And I want to encourage you this morning. Sometimes 
again and remind us that he who promised us is faithful and it is he alone that will bring it to pass. So hold on because the best is yet to come. D.L. Moody said God never made a promise that was too good to be true. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. The God of promise is a God of deliverance. If we jump over to Exodus chapter 14, what takes place between chapter 6 and chapter 14 is that Moses and Aaron, they keep going to Pharaoh and God pours out these plagues over the land of Egypt to kind of force Pharaoh to get the people, let them go and free them from his land. We know that the Lord hardens the heart of Pharaoh. He releases the Israelites and shortly thereafter he realizes what he did. And so he sends his army out to get them. We gotta get these guys back. How are we gonna get anything done here? So he sends his army out after them. Moses and the Israelites are camped at the sea. And so what happens? They see the Red Sea in front of them. They see Pharaoh's army gaining ground behind them. And they're thinking, great, Moses, should have just left us in Egypt. You know, I mean, at least we were alive. We would have been better off dying there, but now he got us trapped between an army and a sea. What's going to happen? The Lord speaks to Moses in that moment and says, raise your staff. And when Moses follows that simple command, you see, sometimes the commands that God gives us are not in flashing neon lights. It's not something extraordinary. It's not something extravagant. It's simply take what's in your hands and be obedient to God. And what happens? He can part the Red Sea. It was because of the obedience. What would have happened if Moses would have said, God, this is a staff. It's a stick. What am I going to do with a stick with the sea in front of me and Pharaoh's army behind me? Nothing's going to happen. Could you imagine? The Israelites would have been taken back into bondage. They would have been taken back to the land of Egypt. God fulfilled his promise through Moses' obedience to lift his arm. To raise his staff, God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites who walked through, take a look at verse 29 of Exodus chapter 14. Here's what it says. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. I love that. They walked through. It wasn't squishy. They weren't sinking in the mud. It was dry ground. And the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him, and they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Why? Because the God of promise is a God of deliverance. He delivered on his promise to release his people from under the hand of Pharaoh. The people of Israel were between an army and a Red Sea. And in their eyes, there was no way of escape. In their eyes, it was over. They were done for. There was nothing that was going to happen that was going to save them. But God. But God. Jim Simmel in his book, Fresh Faith, said we like to control the map of our life and know everything well in advance. But faith is content just knowing 
that God's promise cannot fail. Faith is content just knowing that God's promise cannot and will not fail. There was a man named Russell Kelso Carter. He was an athlete at a military academy. He went on a few years later to become an ordained Methodist minister. And then towards the end of his life, he became a doctor of medicine. And while he was a man who proclaimed that he had great faith, it wasn't until he was hit with a very serious health crisis in his 30s that that faith actually came into practice in his own life. He had been diagnosed with a critical cardiac condition. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, there's nothing else that we can do for you. You're at the mercy of God. We can't help you any longer. There's nothing else we can do. And so in the midst of that situation, in the midst of that crisis in his life, he began to remind himself of the promises of God. And eventually, over the next few months, he started to regain his strength. And as he was at his weakest point, he said, whether God sends me healing or not, I'm going to resolve that the rest of my days, however long they are, I'm going to consecrate my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to devote the rest of my life, however long it is, to his service, to building up his kingdom. As his strength began to build up, his heart was completely healed without the help of physicians. And he went on to live another 49 years. What's amazing about this man's story is that just prior to this incident, he penned the words that many of us know and are very familiar to a lot of us. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Trusting and listening every moment to the Spirit's call. I'm trusting in my Savior as my all in all. I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. It's a declaration that we make in our life. I'm going to choose to stand not on my circumstances, not on what I think or what I feel, but I'm going to choose today to stand on the promise of the Word of God, that the God of promise is a God of deliverance. God is a God of promise. But in order for you and I to walk in those promises, in order for you and I to actually stand on the promise of God, we have to know the promise of God. And how do we know what the promises of God are? By studying His Word. By spending time with Him. David said in Psalm 119 verse 50, This is my comfort in affliction. Your promise gives me life. If you read in other versions, it reads this way, My comfort in suffering is this, Your promise preserves my life. Your promise preserves my life. I'm thankful for the promises of God this morning. The God of promise is a God of deliverance. And so maybe this morning, 
You're at the point of crossing your Red Sea. Whatever that might look like in your life, Pharaoh's army is gaining ground, and it feels like you're between a rock and a hard place. You don't know which way to go. You don't know what it is that you need to do. But the one thing I can assure you of this morning is that the God of promise is a God of deliverance. Because friends, if he parted the Red Sea for Moses, if he killed a giant for David, if he walked through the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if he freed Paul and Silas from prison, if he kept Jonah alive in the belly of a whale, if he marched with Joshua and the Israelites around the walls of Jericho until they collapsed, he can part your Red Sea this morning because the God of promise is a God of deliverance and he will deliver on his promise. Are you with me this morning? There's nothing that is impossible for him. There's nothing that is too difficult for him. He's still God. He's still on the throne. And I believe, as I shared with you this morning, that there is a season of breakthrough that is coming. But in order for you and I to experience breakthrough, we've got to press through. We've got to press on. We've got to believe that God is still God and that he is still on the throne. God fulfilled his greatest promise to us by sending us Jesus. And friends, if God fulfilled the greatest promise to us, why should we ever doubt that he's going to fulfill any other promise that he has made to us? He is a God who delivers on his promise. Psalm 145 verse 13 at the latter part of that verse it said, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. He's trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Friends, there's a season of breakthrough that is coming. And I want to challenge you this morning, if you are able, to stand, to come and fill this altar and to pray like you have never prayed before. For God to begin moving in your life, to begin moving in your home, to begin moving in your family, to believe God for that breakthrough, for that promise that you have been holding on to for years. God wants to fulfill and he will fulfill what it is that he has promised you because he's a miracle working God. He's a way making God and he is here this morning and I want to invite you. We're going to sing a chorus together this morning but these altars are open. Maybe you're not at a point of crossing the Red Sea this morning but you see someone standing up here that is I want to encourage you to come and pray for them this morning. We're going to believe together that God's going to make a way for us this morning where there seems to be no way because he's a God of promise. He's a God of deliverance. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Would you come? The altars are open this morning. Would you trust him? Do you trust him to do what he's promised you today?
Thank you for listening to Victor Christian Center's audio podcast. 
We look forward to connecting with you on our social media or at FCCFMD.com.